Good morning. How are you all? Uh, I'm not convinced. My wife and I have a little banter back and forth. I say, how are you doing? She's like, I'm good. And I always say, that's blasphemy. Jesus said only God is good. And she says, and God is in me. So be quiet. <laughs> she always wins that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Is, is Dale Peterson here this morning? Is Dale Peterson here? Many of you don't know who he is. Is he here? No. Okay. I had a word for him. So, we are doing something, as you know, we had, who was here last week? Wasn't last week both challenging, scary, wonderful, all at once? So, thank you, Rosie. She's with us. She keeps telling me, you're crazy to do this. But we're in day seven of a 40-day for those who are taking part, we encourage all of you, we sent, we're sending it out once a week, we're sending an email, but there's a 40-day prayer challenge for human trafficking, something that as a church we're starting to get involved in and look into. And uh, so I pray, pray for the leaders, pray for us, give us, the Lord give us wisdom and insight on what to do, when to do, and how to do, but it is not something we can turn a blind eye to, it is modern-day slavery. So in that in that um, prayer guide, which they have actually, Rosie spent months and months, I think almost half a year, putting that together. And she's actually donated it to our church to send out as ours. So we are very grateful. So thank you again, Rosie. It's very wonderful to, to have that. I encourage you to go look at it. Today, there's, every day, there's a little testimony. You can click on a video. In the, you can even download it onto your uh, to your own Ma- a MacBook, to your own laptop. I use Apple, I'm very sorry. Um, but you can go look at it, and there's a little video. Some of the videos are not always, they're fine for teenagers, but for younger kids, some of the content, obviously, with the subject matter. But um, today is a young girl by the name of Anita. And uh, her mother died when she was 13, and she was left alone. And we don't understand that in the first world, but I know that very well in the third world. They don't have the systems and the policies and the structure. And so sometimes when parents die, that's it. And um, so she was left alone, so she ended up going to the streets to try to live there. And she couldn't do that, so very shortly she, after that she found her, uh, her, she was looking for her father, trying to find her father so he could help her. And uh, she ended up finding her father's stepdaughter, obviously from another marriage. And it was that stepdaughter that sold her younger sister, into slavery. And uh, she eventually escaped, and she's, I think, 23 at the time, whenever they put that together. I don't know what age she is now, but she's doing okay. But it's just, it it really gets into your heart, and I encourage you to go look and then to pray. And what I love is Rosie has put so many different uh, organizations on there, not just hers, multiple, because she knows it's about the kingdom, it's not about them. So... So I encourage you to do that. So, just wanted to mention that today. Could I ask us, what am I going to ask? Could we stand one more time? Up, down, up, down. I'm so sorry. You don't actually have to. I, I do have someone taking notes who, no, I don't. Um, I wonder if you'd pick up the Bible if you have one. Put it on your heart. The Word is alive. It is living. Sometimes in the... When I was younger as a pastor, I used to sometimes say, pick up the Bible, throw it on the floor, and stand on it to break, 
you know, religious things. And I was actually always, I always liked that. Because yes, to some it's just a book, but it's the words inside that are alive. Soon after I got saved, I was reading... Weird stuff happens to me. I was reading the Bible, and I started to see, it was almost like the words were like moving. And uh, it took me by surprise. And I saw, you know when you see a silver lining behind a cloud? I saw this light behind the black and white letters. And the Lord said, the full power of heaven is behind these words. Because they come from Him. And it really marked my heart. So Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we pray, like the prophet said, that we may eat it, and it becomes like honey. I pray, Lord, let your word come into us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now that we've all done that, I'm going to tell you what we're going to look at today. It's kind of tricked you. We're going to look at marriage. Everyone's like, oh boy. The Lord put it on my heart to speak about marriage today. And... Let me start by saying this. I know just that word for some carries pain. I know the church sometimes has had certain perspectives and opinions about that throughout history, sometimes that have been wrong for a very long time. And sometimes it's God's people that have hurt others the most. So, (laughs) I don't come to you today as an expert. I don't know if I've ever actually taught on marriage uh, in little groups and stuff. But there's something about marriage that humbles every person. I'm not an expert. We fight. We have many flaws and, well, no, no. I have many flaws (laughs) and failings. I do. And so I, I, I do not speak on this today as some expert or some guru or some marriage counselor or advisor. I really don't. I, I speak to us today just trying to look at what's in God's Word and to try and give some hope and reminders to us. And I also speak as one who is living in this crazy world with you and working it out with you. So, if we could see God's original heart and intent concerning marriage, that's what I'm mostly looking at today. So we're going to look at a few points. If I don't get finished, we will look at it next week. But you can turn on your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 and Ephesians 5. I want to look at God's point number one, God's original intent. What was God's original intention for marriage? Because today, in our generation, marriage is coming under major scrutiny. So what I also... Some people start to talk about marriage in a political sense, and they get all excited. But it doesn't transfer to anything in their life. So it's not just political, but it is under scrutiny right now. So I hope today to show us how important marriage is. So let's read God's original intention, Genesis 2, 18 to 25. Let me say to the single people, I heard many, many messages on marriage before I got married and I actually paid, I started paying attention. And I'm so glad that I did. It helped me to know, at least have an idea of how wrong I was when I got married. <laughs> it really did. 
And when I hear young, especially young men, because I speak more to them, I used to a lot, speak to young men, and they talk, start talking about, I'm writing a list of what I'm looking for. When I, when I hear a young man say and focus on what he can bring, that means he's beginning to be ready. Not what she's like. What, she, what he can bring, what he can do. That's a good sign. Yeah? And anything I say today, if you don't... Who's been married 50 years or more? Could you stand real quick? 50 years or more. Wow. Look at that. So, take note of those couples. Whatever you don't agree with, go ask them questions. Please do not come ask me. Okay. Genesis 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said... It is not good that man should be alone. Remember that. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place, basically surgery. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from, from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. In Hebrew, it's ishash or ishah came from Ish. You know what's interesting? The main, one of the three main demonic gods that have different names all throughout history, even all throughout the Bible, the goddess of sexual immorality, and you know what its name is? Ishtar. Corruption of the woman, of the image of what God made. He made, he took Isha out of Ish. And so the enemy says, let's create something called Ishtar and mess all of that up. Isn't he so sneaky? So, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a woman, sorry, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall, became one, they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So, first, I'm going to just give us a few factual points. Some of this I've done at, a weddings, at weddings before. But very important, firstly, that weddings play a major role, almost the major role, throughout the Bible. Not in terms of the amount, but weddings book in Scripture. God officiates a wedding in the beginning, and God will officiate a wedding at the end. And those two marriages, both of them, were without sin, before the fall and after full redemption. Every other wedding in between is different. Huh. All like, oh yeah. And you're, like, you're trying not to elbow your spouse. But weddings play a major role all through Scripture. All through Scripture. And Jesus also chose a wedding to be his place of the first miracle. Weddings are kind of a big deal. They are so central to the gospel so central to the gospel. And I've always said, whenever you have a covenant, the possibility of pleasure and strength is higher, but so is the possibility of pain. 
That's why divorce is so extremely painful. And currently the divorce rate amongst Christians is higher than the world. You know that? That's not a condemnation. Not at all. It's partly because the church tries to accomplish through man's effort a standard that, in a sense, the world doesn't care about. And it causes pressure when they try to do it through their own strength. So there's no judgment. So, Scripture also shows that marriage in God's eyes, we just read it, is between a male and a female. Today you have to say a biological male and a biological female. I never used to have to say the biological part. But Scripture shows us that God says it's between a man and a woman. He put in man a seed. And he put in woman the conditions, it's really common sense, for the seed to grow. And without those two together, you cannot we cannot, as a human race, fulfill the first commission, multiply and fill the earth. Can't. You just can't. So that is God's design. Also, if you took time, now this may sound weird to you, but understand before woman came along, before Eve came along, Adam had no idea. Most men still don't have an idea about some of that, but... Adam had no idea this creature, this amazing creature that God made called woman. And if you think about it, even if you read carefully, let's read it. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable. So God took him through an exercise of naming all the rest of his creation, in a sense to point out, for more than that, but partly to point out, your mate, your helper, is not one of these. Why? Because Adam, and the ladies are going to enjoy this one, Adam and the beasts were made from the same stuff. Genesis 2.7, Genesis 2.19, they were both made from the field, from the ground, from the earth. He formed man from the ground. He formed the beasts from the ground. But woman, he formed from man. Different. Men are going, that makes so much sense. <laughs> so, yep, <laughs> yep. But it teaches us something, that just because we come from different stuff doesn't mean we can't be compatible. Doesn't matter your race, your country, creed, culture, that's not the stuff that makes you compatible. It's the Lord who does. And it's a covenant with Him that actually causes us to start to do this thing called marriage, not, not where you come from. Hello? not your past. So, secondly, another thing for the ladies, oh boy, help meet. The word helper, it was not found a suitable helper. Ladies, can we, can you agree with me not to use this against your husband real quick? I'm going to give you something, don't use it. That word is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Three times it's got nothing to do with relationship. But two times it's got to do with um, so 18 times in a relational context. Two times is talking about here in these verses. A wife as a helpmeet. The other 16 times, it's how God helps man. So, <laughs> and every time it's like, you know, without the Lord helping, I couldn't do it. Impossible for it to be done. And so God helps. That is the same word, the way God helps man, as that as the way a wife or a woman helps man. So you can look at your husband and say, I help you like God helps you. Because 
That's what the Bible says. But that's actually what it says. It doesn't mean under. It doesn't mean subject. Please understand. But it's a helper. It's comparable. They come together. Meaning together something is possible that separate is not. Hello. And that doesn't mean that people can be celibate or single. Not at all. God calls some people to that. Few, but he does. So, second, or number next, still under God's original intention. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There is the covenant being made or introduced, obviously creates a new family, but what that actually does is it causes a shift in the authority structure. Do we have a big guy with a jacket here, real quick? Is anyone a big guy with a jacket or... No, no, not really. I forgot to bring mine. But it's like this. If my dad or someone, Colin, thank you, yeah, Colin, military, if he was wearing a jacket, then I took that jacket and I gave it to Jacob. Jacob, can you stand? Colin, can you stand? How many of you know it wouldn't fit? Right? Thanks, guys. Now, I do that for you to remember. When there's an authority structure, we're going to speak about what that actually looks like. But in, a, in an optimal situation, God's original intention, in a healthy family, healthy family environment, both young men and women, children, they grow up, there's an authority structure in that household. As soon as there's a covenant being formed, the authority, which in a sense rests on the man, but maybe not like you think, which we'll get to, but the authority, now this guy takes on a coat, a mantle of authority, but it, it ain't fit him yet. He takes on something that he's never worn before. And there's a massive shift in authority. She feels it. He feels it. Because they're leaving from someone an older, wiser, gentler, smarter, not always in an ideal situation, person that has been wearing that coat for a long time. And it fits them better. They have a little bit more wisdom. They have a little bit more grace. And now a young man puts that coat on. And the amount of young couples I've had come to me and saying, I married her, she was like this. But now she's crazy. And vice versa. It's like we got married and everything... It's because there's a shift in authority. And the spiritual realm reacts to authority more than anything else. Does this make sense? Secondly, or number next, whatever... In mankind's first union, this is what I read, I try to read it every wedding, there are certain undeniable facts. Number one, <clears throat> excuse me, God himself was directly and personally involved. Can I say he still desires to be directly and personally involved in every marriage? Also, it was God's decision, it says it is not good that man should be alone. It was God's decision, not Adam's, that Adam should have a wife or a mate. It was God's idea, not Adam's. Marriage is God's idea, not man's, and man doesn't have the right to change it. It was God who formed Adam, and it was God who formed Eve. And it's still like that. You are not responsible for forming and shaping your spouse. Please hear me. You're not. God didn't form other one of the God didn't ask Adam to. Form Eve and didn't ask Eve to form Adam. He did it. He did both. 
It's still like that. That's why prayer for your spouse is powerful. God forms the wife. God forms the man. He will shape. He will form, not you. And God brought Eve to Adam, which we'll explain, and God established the terms of that covenant relationship. Not them. My dad said this many years ago, and it struck me. God established the terms of the marriage covenant. Not them, not an angel, not a man, and not a government. God. So none of those others have the right to change it. Amen? All right. Verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they felt no shame, or they were not ashamed. This one single verse has struck me for so many years because it links the fall of man, the gospel, and marriage. The, the fall of man and marriage are linked almost more than anything else. So let's go look at that. With Adam, I'm just going to read you this <clears throat> so I don't start preaching the gospel. I love the gospel. When Adam and Eve believed through the lie in the deception of the enemy and they acted on it, we know everything changed. They sinned and through sin, death came into the world. That's what the Bible says. Death entered through sin. And when death entered through sin, every, both creation and human race suddenly had a death sentence on them. Even, I believe, the law of entropy, all matter decays, comes from the fall. Because it's not like that in heaven. So death, because of sin, death entered. And sin as a slave master, every person born on the earth is born with sin as a slave master because of the first sin, and that happened, and even creation is subject to that. But it was never God's intention for man to exist apart from him. But that's what the first couple, in a sense, attempted. They believed in the lie of the enemy that God was holding out on them, and they believed they needed to do something that in doing that, in obeying the enemy, they could, in a sense, become something different. They could become more than what God had already made them to be. And the thing that was said about it, it was seen, or the fruit, or the temptation, was seen as desirable to make one wise. So they took and they ate. And they did get wisdom, and I know I've covered this many times, but it was a fallen human wisdom. It was a fallen wisdom. It was a wisdom that was bent and, and, and not good. It wasn't, when God created, he said, it is good. But as soon as the fall came, they had a fallen human wisdom. And that fallen human wisdom is fallen predominantly for one reason. It has self at the center. The Bible says you become a slave to whomever you obey. Yeah? Hello? You with me? Who did they obey? Don't be shy. The enemy. So there was a fall before man's fall. The fall of Lucifer. What was in Lucifer's heart when he fell? You go look at it. There are five statements he makes. And every single one of them begin with, I will. I will ascend. I will sit on the most high. I will do this. I will. I will. That fell. And that deceived the human race, and humans took on the same heart. Me. Me, my, I. Me, me, me. You see it come out of a toddler, literally. Mine, mine, me. Unfortunately, adults do the same thing. It's just they got better at it. So, there are many things that we can do and accomplish. 
with even this fallen. Great at business, great. It's not like logic is part of that. And logic is great. Doesn't make it all bad. But this center of self, when it comes to relationships, it is extremely damaging. Hello. It's seen more in any form of relationship, not just marriage, than any other area of life. Other people. That's why when someone is so extremely hurt, they just become a hermit. They're like, I'm fine. I just People always hurt me. Well, because they have self right here until the Lord comes and touches it. And then we still engage that old self all the time. So, that is, in a sense, in a nutshell, what happened at the fall. And when they acted on that deception, self was born. That's why you've heard me say for years, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is self. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not seek its own desire. Another translation says, love is not selfish. In other words, not self-governed. Real love. The God type of love. God's love. And they instantly went from being God-conscious, all they were was God-conscious. The Bible actually uses these words, by the way. Things like God-conscious, sin-conscious, self-conscious. They were God-conscious, which is the Lord. Then sin entered, they became self-conscious. I'll read it to you. Self-image, they realized they were naked. Self-righteousness, they started to cover it up. Cover, the word atone means to cover. The first thing they did was cover it. We can fix it, Lord, we don't need you. Self-justification. Wasn't me, it was the woman. Wasn't me, it was the snake. Self-preservation. I'm going to throw everybody under the bus so that I can... I'm not bad. It was... Adam actually blamed the Lord. You did this. You gave me her. It's you. Your fault. Self, 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 self. That came in the fall. Then God brought the law. Old Testament law. The Bible says law gives an awareness of sin. They went from being just self-conscious to now self-conscious and sin-conscious. Waking up every day knowing what I shouldn't do but not empowered not to do it, but also trying to think about, thinking about myself all day, pretending I'm not, and all the stuff that I shouldn't do but I'm still going to do it. kind of sucks. And through Jesus, he made it so that we could be God-conscious again. <laughs> Fix your eyes on Jesus. So... I know I'm not going to go into that now because that's a big topic. But I say all of that to say one thing. This struck me years ago. God designed marriage before the fall. Think about that. God was the architect of marriage, as we said. God was the one who designed it. It was God's idea, but he did it before the fall of man. It's a wonder why marriage in a modern world, apart from the Lord, is so difficult because God made it before the fall. And so what happens? What are some of the predominant things that change in the fall with a self thing? The way you think, that's why repentance means change the way you think, metanoia. That's why the Bible says renew your mind. It says you have now have access to the mind of Christ. We know the battlefield's here, right? We've heard many sermons on the mind, the mind, the mind. The mind needs to change. And the love of God. We lost God's way of thinking and God's type of love. You lost those two. And in a marriage, you need, because marriage was created before the fall, you need God's type of thinking, God's way of thinking, and God's way of loving. Those two. 
without it, and remember, I'm not up here as an expert. I mess this up all the time. But to be aware of it, I'm hoping to remind and just give encouragement that we, yes, we live in a fallen world, but it is God's type of thinking and God's type of loving. Now, that may not sound encouraging. Why is it encouraging? Because when things are tough in a marriage, when things are tough in the home, predominantly, the people involved think one of two things. My spouse is the problem, or I am the problem. And the truth is, as I've just shown you, sin is the problem. And I'm not saying we can just be like, it's not me, it's the devil. No, not that. No. Life outside of a relationship with God will not empower any relationship. It's not your spouse is the problem, and it's not you are the problem. Originally, it's the fall. It's the, the sin, the self that comes that has a strong pull, man. That's the problem. And so we need the Lord. We really do. We need the Lord. We need the Lord every day to see your spouse as God sees them, to think as God thinks, to love as God loves, because we need His way of thinking and we need His way of loving. So every part of me that is broken, people say, you're not a broken person, you're a pastor. No, they are parts of every person on the earth that are broken. They're not aware of it, some of them, but they are. And this side of heaven, we do everything we can to repair, to restore, to redeem. But there are still parts that are broken. And every part of me that is broken is the part that causes me to react to her in the wrong way. That causes me to see things that aren't there. Causes me to hear things she's not saying. Causes me to come across at her in a way she doesn't deserve. Or maybe she does deserve in this world. But it's the broken parts of me to do that. None of those things come from the Lord those broken parts. Every part of me that is hurt, because we all know hurt people, hurt people. doesn't matter how wonderful that person is, if they hurt, they will hurt people. And all the parts of me that are hurt, that will cause me to say something that I don't mean. I mean, I know you guys have never fought in your marriage, but when we fight, I say things I don't mean. And the enemy will cause her to think he really does mean that. He just didn't want to say it. You know, all the stuff, right? All of that brokenness, all of that rejection, all of that hurt, it comes up. None of it comes from him. None of it. None of it. doesn't mean we can't be honest and open, but none of it comes from him. Every part of me that has been rejected, betrayed, abandoned, whatever it is, life has happened to all of us, all of us. But the point is, I may win the argument, but actually lose in the kingdom. Because I'm employing something against her that is not given for marriage, because marriage was created before the fall. Am I making some sense to you? So, we have to remember we need his type of love and his type of thinking. And that takes time. So that's why... I've the next point, know him first, and then know him together. I'm going to read this quickly. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. We read it. And he caused a deep sleep to, be, to fall up to Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his robe, closed up the flesh in its place. Then 
The rib which the Lord God had taken out from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. What's the point? The first face that they saw, both of them, was God's, not each other's. The first face Eve saw, the first face Adam saw, was God's. The first voice he heard was God's. The first experience of emotion was from God. The first experience of safety was from God. The first experience of family was from God. All of those things. Every one of them was the first. It says, then he took her and brought her and gave and brought her to him. But she had already met the Lord. So all of her firsts were from him, from the Lord. All of his firsts were from the Lord. And the point is, you cannot, and I know this is easy to say, not easy to do. I get it. You cannot get things from your spouse that only come from the Lord. You cannot. That's why, and I've encouraged, I think at every wedding I've done, one of the best gifts you can give to your spouse, you don't do it for this reason, but it ends up being, is a genuine relationship with God. My dad has become well known in some circles for saying this. Every time they fought, he's never gone to the Lord and complained about, I mean prayed about the fight and about my mother or his wife. And the Lord says, you know, you are right. I can't believe it either. <laughs> it's amazing to me. I'm shocked, Ken. I mean, I don't know how you did. I'm shocked. Never. He always says, what about your heart? Not even in a condemnation way, because when the Lord says that, it penetrates to heal. A relationship with the Lord, please hear me. He is everything. He is the first voice, the first face, the first experience of emotion, of love, of safety. We can't get things from our spouse that only come from him. We can't. And when we place that demand on our spouse, it starts breaking things down. I have noticed when I'm not in a good place with the Lord, we all go through seasons like that, I become far more needy than when I am in a good place with the Lord. I start to need her for all sorts of things. That's Really? Really? Now we need each other. The Bible says you cannot say you have no need of one another. That's relationship. That's what there's a matrimony bond. But we know him first. We also know him together, which I won't get into today. We know the stats. We've heard it. And I'll be honest, I haven't been good at this. It's something I'm working on. Every couple that prays together, 1% of couples that actually pray together, less than 1% of those people get divorced. <laughs> That's an incredible stat. And I want to, he's, he's spoken about it here, so I, I want to honor Don and Melinda for that. When I met Don, we started to build a relationship, and he said one of the first times he really heard the Lord in his heart, the Lord said to him, one time, the Lord said to him, I want you to pray with your wife. He said, all right. The next morning he got up, and they've been praying together every morning for 28, 9 years. And he used to go to work at 4. He used to wake up at 3. Imagine that. My wife would probably shoot me. <laughs> She's like, yep. But they prayed together every day for almost 30 years. He said it once. When I heard that, it rocked my world, I'll be honest. I'm like, oh my goodness. 
but less than 1%. I can say that, but yet for some reason, it doesn't penetrate. We've all heard it a thousand times because it comes from the Lord. It's a conviction from the Lord. And then we go to pray with one another. Can I, I'm just being real. Is that all right? And we use prayer to try to control our spouse. I thank you, Lord, that we're getting better at this. And we're getting better at, you know, and you list a whole bunch of things that you think they need to learn. It, it just, that's not prayer. That's something else. And so then, and then we pray for this long. This is me. We'll pray together and I'll pray. But I'm used to praying on my own. I'm used to crying out to the Lord, tearing down heaven for people, for crowds, for a city. And I go, whoa. It's happened more than once. Not to, my, not to her shame, in a sense, to mine. And I turn, she's asleep. <laughs> I just prayed for 20 minutes. She's just going to sit there and watch me? No. She's asleep. It's like, watch me pray. That's not. Hello? His, laugh, his wives are laughing more than the men. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You cannot look to each other for things you can only get from God. And it starts by inviting him into your life if you're not saved. It starts by recognizing, Lord, apart from you, I can't. I can't actually do life apart from you. Then inviting him into your marriage. My dad tells a story of when he fasted. I think it was the first time he really fasted a long time. It was like six or seven days. He was like, oh, I'm fasting. And all that the Lord said to him after all of that was, Ken, listen to your wife. It's like, really? Seven days of... Then love gives. Number next. We know the verse. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. Here's a list that will come up behind me. What is it like to love like God loves? I know there's different Greek words for love. Agape, filio, and all, eros, and all of that. But God love is agape love. The love of God. What did that look like? He loved, or still loves, he loved those who, and there's all the scriptures, and we won't go through them, who were by nature opposed to him. That's what the Bible says. He loved those who did not love him back, even like him. He loved those who didn't understand where he came from. All of the Gospels, Jesus keeps talking about in the kingdom, in the kingdom, and it even says they did not know from where he had come. He loved those that did not know where he came from. He loved those who were blinded to, to who he is. He loved those who didn't understand what it cost him to do what he was doing. Hello. Philippians 2, 5 to 9, he left. He did not consider equality with God robbery or something to be grasped after. But by his own will, he descended, he became a man, became obedient to the death of a cross. He humbled himself. In a sense, he left equality with God. Let me say to the men, because I, I can tell we're probably not going to get to that part today, maybe. The church for so long has talked, men are in authority, men are in authority. But what did that authority look like with Jesus? The first thing he did was step off a throne. First thing he did for his wife was to step off a throne and humble himself. He loved those who were blinded to who he is. He loved those who didn't understand what it cost him. He loved those who were fighting him while he was trying to help them. It's like your children sometimes. He loved those who were hostile, the Bible says. They were hostile in their thoughts. 
They took a stance of an enemy. These are all things the Bible says. He loved despite. So, yet it was because of this love, 1 John 4, we loved him because we all know that. We all know that when it comes to him. But what about in marriage? Well, let's just take a few of those things. In marriage, there are times where love will be needed to be given, or love will be required of a person in order to go forward in a healthy, good way when they are opposed to you. I'm going to go through the same list. In other words, when you're fighting. People were fighting the Lord. He loved them. Where love will be required when they don't know your history or your context, just like with Jesus. They didn't know his history or context, where he come from, from heaven. They didn't appreciate it. They didn't understand. Have you ever felt like that towards your spouse? You're like, you don't know my history. You don't know where I come from. You don't know that culture. You don't know I come from this state. You come from that state. And you can't. And it causes some stuff to rise up. When they're not understanding you, just as they didn't understand the Lord. When they're not understanding what it's cost you. These things are real. Hello? They're real. When they didn't understand what it's cost you. Or it feels as if they're blinded to you. They don't understand you. They don't understand what you've chosen to let go. And you've been so much like Jesus because you've never brought it up. Except for in your own mind every day. That's called meditation, by the way. That will eventually come out of your mouth. Well, you... Yeah. Mm, lost the reward. This is supposed to be helpful. <laughs> I'm just reminding myself. What about when they're hostile towards you? The Bible says we were enemy of the Lord in our minds. Have you ever felt that? They're hostile towards you, not outwardly, but in here. <laughs> if, you could sit, if you could see what I'm seeing, man. Some smiles and some smiles then disappear. Then it comes back, then it disappears. <laughs> it's the hostile. You don't mean it, but it's... it's it all comes from the enemy because he hates marriage. He hates marriage. He hates marriage. It is marriage that gives us authority over him. We are the betrothed to the king. He hates marriage. He will do everything he can to destroy it. So, aim for the four goals of communication. Now, I took this from somebody else. I've had to read this constantly and failed at it many times. Then I read it again. Can I read it to you? Very simple. I know you've all heard thousands of these, different types of these, but these have helped me. Four goals of communication. Number one, to be understood. Not to agree. Not to convince the other person that I'm right. Not to make others agree and not to make sure they understand what I mean when I say, no. Communication goal? To understand one another. Doesn't mean you have to agree, but you can understand one another. My dad said when I took over the church, in a sense, he's one piece of advice when it came to deal, dealing with people. He said, Clayton, always have compassion and grace. You have no idea what they've come from and what they've come through. The same is true in marriage. Even though you're sitting right next to the person, here and here, 
sometimes they're coming through hell, in a sense, and they're trying hard to understand each other. Secondly, connection. If per people have actually communicated, we'll feel like when we've left, we'll feel like we've connected. The number one factor of, that stops communication between a genuine relationship is the fear of rejection. That's been proven over and over in all sorts of studies. If I tell them what I actually think or what I actually feel or what I've actually been thinking or what I've actually been struggling with, the fear of rejection. And so what happens is the communication isn't real and then, then the connection isn't real. Hope, another one. Goal of communication is hope. You may not come to decision, but I encourage you when you communicate with one another, try to leave with a sense of hope. You may not have resolved the issue, but it really helps when there's hope. When my wife and I have really struggled, at times like everybody else, it's helped so much. When I've looked at her or when she's looked at me, I said, babe, I don't think we can do it. I don't think we'll make it if, if we're if we fight each other. But we will make it if we face it together. If I know she believes in me, and she knows I believe in her, it's something strange happens. All of a sudden, we become partners, and the thing that's actually destroying us becomes an enemy. She's not an enemy, and I'm not an enemy. And redemption, they've come up behind us. If communication doesn't feel redemptive but destructive, go back to number one. Just communicate so you can understand one another. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife. We all saw Billy Graham in this. I mean, that guy's my hero. He's amazing. But she said, a good marriage is made up of two great forgivers. Means they had struggles. Now, can we go through something real quick? You guys still okay? Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to go through this fast. I may step on some toes here. You're like, you haven't done that? No, not really. Ephesians 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say this word together? Submitting. Can we say it together? Submitting. Wife to the husband? Not yet. To one another. To one another in the fear of the Lord. That word submitting, hypotasso in the Greek. Hypotasso. It means to arrange yourself underneath. Basically, humility. I'm going to walk into a room, and I don't think I'm all that in the room. I'm going to arrange myself underneath the person next to me, because there's probably something I can learn. The same is true in a marriage. You can actually, by choice, arrange yourself, not underneath as in less than, but to serve to arrange yourself underneath, submit to one another. Then it says this, and this is an interesting scripture over the years. Wives, submit to your own husbands. 
You know one of the most important words there is the word own. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Sometimes I love it when Paul hits us this big statement, and we all like, okay, and then he throws this little other part in. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body, which we'll talk about. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Seems extreme, seems harsh in a modern world. Firstly, that word subject, believe it or not, is the same word, hypotasso. just means submit. But it does not make woman or a wife subject to their husband. Please hear me. Not at all. Not at all. They can submit. But let's read it again. It says that Christ, as Christ is the head of the church, but he is the savior of the body. You know the word savior, the root word sozo, to heal, to everything we just discussed that Jesus did for the church? To be the head is not so much about being in charge. This is what Paul has just said. But to be the head, to be in authority, is to have the responsibility of safety and protection. Just as Christ is, just as the, as the, as the church is to Christ, who is the head of the church, oh, and the Savior. To be in authority is to have responsibility for protection and safety. Then it says, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So that word hapatasso, to arrange oneself underneath. So it's saying this, therefore, just as the church is to arrange itself underneath Jesus Christ, so let wives be and do to their own husbands. So how did the church, or how does the church, arrange itself or submit? How does the church do that to the Lord? Because if you just read it quick, it's like, I'm in charge. And that is actually not the meaning of that, that's not the heart of the text. And some of you I know, I'm irritating and upsetting some of you. How does the church submit to the Lord? Freely and by personal revelation. My dad's with me. He said that's right. And he's like super old. So <laughs> how does the church submit to the Lord? Salvation wouldn't be salvation if it was by force. In fact, then it couldn't be salvation because it has to be of free will. How does the church submit to the Lord? Freely and by personal connection and revelation. And when does that happen? After he's been the savior of the church. Oh boy. That doesn't make, you know, the, I'm the savior, I'm the superman. No. And yes, I understand there's a divine order. But it's not just, uh, can I just be blunt? I've seen some church cultures where men are everything and women are nothing. And it's not good. And now the enemy is coming along in the world and trying to reverse it in the most unhelpful, 
unhealthy way. And that's not good either. There is an authority structure. But it's not above and beneath. It's together. And there's a togetherness in marriage even when it comes to authority. Because to arrange oneself underneath is freely, not by force, by personal revelation and by choice. But I have found when the husband, instead of just, I'm, when the husband recognizes that he has given authority to serve, to love, to protect, how did Jesus love the, the bride? He took care of everything that was against her on the cross. And he took punishment that was actually owed to her. He had done nothing wrong. He said, I'll take the hit so you can be free to choose. <laughs> How did Jesus love the church? He gave himself up. The Bible says that. He gave himself up just as Christ loved the, as, as loved the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, meaning to the authorities. He gave himself up to the authorities to pay a ransom. He didn't do anything wrong, but he took her sentence that was owed to her. He did it so that she could become who she really is. Hello? He did that so we could discover who we are. Paul is actually saying, in the same way, husbands, love her like that. Oh, boy. Let me say this to the wives. Your husband, unless he's been taught otherwise, he actually wants to love you that way. You know that? He wants to. It's a desire in his heart. He wants to love you like that. He wants to, and sometimes from an unhealthy place. I mean, I take care of business. You know, I do everything. No, that's egotistical strangeness. But he wants to love you in a way that is like Christ loved the church. He does. But we fail. We forget. And I encourage you, to the best of my being, even though I am not a woman, no matter I'm not. That, that can't change. Just in my... It, man. Even... It doesn't help when I'm doing this or when a husband's for the wife to then say, well, you should be doing that. Let me give you, say this. That doesn't empower him in the right direction. I'm not talking about abuse. If you're in abuse, honestly, get out. That's just my belief. If you're in abuse, leave. As fast as you can. But he wants to love you that way. And the more he comes to know the Lord, he wants to love you like that. He wants to love you like that. He wants to love you. But we live in a fallen world. We all have stuff. But for you to hold it up to his face doesn't actually empower him. It actually takes it away. You know that the Bible never ever says one time, never tells a wife to love the husband. 
<laughs> it's like all sorts of toes being stepped on today. Because they do it naturally. They do it naturally. What was the curse? Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. You go to pagan countries today where the gospel hasn't infiltrated at all, and women are not much more above cattle. It makes me sick. Wherever the gospel has come in, really come in, women have been lifted to the rightful place of equal. But the curse was that. And in Christ, that is all, that is lifted. But in also the curse was, because you heeded your wife, that's what he said to Adam. So there is something in the old nature that happened in the fall that causes the one to want to rule and the other to just want to listen. And so the Lord says, hey, husbands, love your wives because he needs to say it. When a woman, especially not, if you haven't had children, you're not less than, please hear me. But I watched my wife have, ch have a child and there is such a selflessness that is developed in childbearing. Nothing belongs to you, not even your own body. It's like there's a selflessness. And to love and to nurture, just, oh. She wasn't made from the dust. She was made from something that was already alive. And she was made for the purpose of relationship. Adam was made, for a, in a sense, for the purpose of a task, tend the garden. So he disappears into the business world, but she's relational. One time it says that it says older women teach younger women to love their families, to love their husbands. But the Lord, in a sense, doesn't even have to. But he says, wives, respect your husbands. Doesn't tell husbands to respect their wives. They want to. Am I speaking to someone today? I wish we could go into things which maybe we'll have to get into next week. All your emails, send them to those couples. <laughs> Can I say this last thing? When it says, there's a strange verse here. It says this, and then we'll, we'll carry on next week. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ lost to love the church and gave himself up for her, that's to the authorities, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Well, that's a weird thing to say. What does that mean? It is not the husband's job to sanctify in the way that we're hearing it. Like, I'm going to form you. Well, we already know that's not a good idea. You try that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how to be sanctified. You know, one of the meanings of sanctified means to be put in a proper state of functioning. A pen, when it's a, just sitting on the desk, is a pen. That's great. It's identity, pen. But when it's being used to write, it's sanctified. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He puts us in a place of proper functioning with authority as an heir of God. But when it says it there, <laughs> that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. I've heard people talk about baptism. Well, that's, that happens once. So, you know, when you're fighting, you're thinking, I'm going to baptize you again. That is not reading the Bible to your wife. 
it's a strange kind of way it says that. I've heard preachers say that. You must read the Bible. That's what it means. And the, the word will cleanse her. The word cleanses helps builds everybody. In the Old Testament, there was a brazen altar representing the cross where they would do the sacrifices. And they would do that, and then they want to head into the presence. They want to go to the tabernacle. But in between the cross and the presence, in between those two things, the brazen altar and the tabernacle, was this thing called the bronze laver. And it was made out of mirrors that the woman gave. And they would have to wash, even after they've been atoned for. They would have to wash before they went into the tabernacle to wash all the dust and the dirt and stuff of the world off. But it was made out of mirrors. And it's pointing to the fact that as soon as the cross has happened, as soon as a person is saved, the Lord wants us to look into the mirror. The Bible says that's the word. James 1 says the word is a mirror. To look into the mirror and see, like a mirror, my new person, my new identity. I go from the cross and I look and I'm like, that's who I am. That's who I am. Here, in my opinion, in my opinion, you don't have to agree with me. You may have heard it preached other ways. It's talking about that. When she comes at you, when, she, when something happens as it does in life, reflect to her how he sees her, not how she sees her, not how you see her at times, not how the world sees her. Be a mirror to her. This is how God sees you. with love and grace and righteousness and the washing of the mirror. That's what Paul's saying. That's how Jesus is for us. And I know there's another whole subject we can talk about to wives. Unfortunately, I'm not a woman. And I don't have... I, I'm just not going to touch that right now. <laughs> Next week, we're going to get into Scripture's Two Husbands. Paul says that there's two, hus two husbands in Scripture, the law and Jesus Christ. And I have been both to my wife. I have been the law to her at times, just giving her lists. And then God deals with my heart, and then I'm like Jesus to her, well, close as I can get. And then I get mad, and then I'm the law to her. Just, nah, nah, da, 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 you know? And then the Lord deals with my heart, I'm sorry. And then I'm trying to be like, my poor wife. Can we stand? Marriage. The enemy hates marriage. God designed marriage before the fall. I encourage you. Can you hold your spouse's hand real quick? Real quick, forgive them. Forgive them. Just forgive them. Don't wait till you get home. Don't wait till you have a long list of grievances. Don't wait to explain everything you've forgiven them for. Imagine the Lord did that to you. You would be standing listening for a long time. Right now, I encourage you, right now, just forgive them. And then don't hear today's message 
from a place of he really needs to hear that, she really needs to hear it. Hear it for yourself. Know him first. I feel like we're going to have to carry on next week, apparently. We can't just leave it there. So we'll continue with this next week. I trust it was helpful to you. Sir, could I ask you to come pray for us? I forgot your name, yes. I, even though I forget his name, I actually have great respect for, his, for this man. Mr. Holiday, that's right. Uh, what is it? Phil. Phil. He doesn't, sir, he told me once, don't call me sir. Can you come up here? I know he's visiting today. Um, he may not even agree with everything I said. But, <laughs> but so him praying doesn't mean he agrees. But he stood as one of those who've been married for like a thousand years. And so we, uh, I wondered if you, just God put it in my heart. I wonder if you would just pray for us. It'd be a privilege. It'd be a privilege. Uh, it's a privilege to hear you speak, Pastor. I call you Clayton That's cool. uh, because he proclaims the word. It's inspired through the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're here because our son started attending this church, and Todd Bramblett and several others that we used to minister together at a Christian Fellowship. Uh, but I'm uh, moved by your word every time we come and the worship. Uh, so it's been a blessing. So it's a privilege and a blessing to close us in prayer. Father, we do uh, just want to pause now and give thanks. Uh, your word says that whenever we pray that it's to be with thanksgiving. And Lord, we present our petitions to you. And so, Lord, it's with that in mind that we just uh, close this service today with thanksgiving in our hearts. Uh, for this body of believers, your church, with the leadership, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through Clayton and his father, Lord, uh, you have poured out uh, richness and boldness in the word. And, Lord, that as we might receive it, and we pray that each heart will have been open today to receive, and not only to receive, but to believe, but then let it manifest in our lives, in all of our actions, in our words, and our deeds, that we might cause others to say and to inquire of the lively hope that is within us, that we may share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us in that endeavor. Let it begin through our marriages, as we've heard today, as we've embraced it, and let others desire that. And so, Father, that we become salt and light to the darkness in the world. We thank you, Father. We go now in your love. We commit this day into your hands, and we pray all of this in the blessed name of Jesus. And all of God's people said...